Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Tick Madness! Ah, uh, yep, that's right. A bunch of people get bit by it, and that includes us. Hey, yep. how's it going? Hey. We're the hosts of Cult Podcast, now controlled by the Tick Uprising. Uh, it's like The Last of Us, but instead of mushrooms, it's... I can't eat raw beef anymore. It's just the the cartoon from the 90s, The, the Tick. The Tick, Yeah. <laughs> It's just all Patrick Warburton all the time. Which, honestly, I'm uh, pretty excited about. I can't do Patrick Warburton. I, I can't at all. We need to call Julian and have them do it. Yeah. Every time I try to do it, I just go, hey, Peter. Hey. I open my mouth real loud and I go, Easy hey, Peter. Hey. I've got these spinach rolls. Like, I can't I can't do it. Come with me, little wooden boy. Like, oh, I you, can't do any of it. You mean the poison we got for Cusco. Hey, Peter. Yeah, that's that's it. That's that's as far as my impression goes. I I have half a mind to call Julian and see if we can get them to do it over the phone, but I don't know if they would pick up. <laughs> we'll ask no. We'll ask Julian to do one. Uh, we'll ask them to do one, and we'll post it on social media somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, I'm I'm sure Julian has them all over their social media. Oh, hundred percent. We'll find one. We'll repost one. Yeah, yeah, It'll yeah, be yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Peter. Uh, so I, uh, I wanted to say that, uh, before we get into the show, um, that, hey, we, uh, are going to go to Panic Fest. There's going to be more information about that. Definitely on our Instagram. Check at Colt Podcast. Um, we spend the beginning maybe 15 minutes of this episode talking about, uh, life updates and why we're not going to be posting episodes for about two weeks or so. Um, nothing's bad. Things are happening. Uh, listen to the episode. For, yeah, listen to the They're episode. Good things for us. It's just we we have to pause while we you know do life stuff. Exactly. So don't be worried about it. Uh, but also, if you don't give if you don't give a shit about us, first of all, fucking I respect it, dude. Second of all, you could skip the. You first must be minutes. from New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck you, Delaware, New Hampshire, and what was the third place? France. Oh, yeah. I thought there was another state, but fuck you, France. I'm sure there is another state, but specifically France. Fucking baguette-eating motherfuckers. Anyway. Snail uh, lickers. (laughs) Snail lickers, you fucking frog-licking pieces of shit. You fucking um, artistic cheese having <laughs> bread making snail licking assholes. Yeah. Did you know that they have their own fucking Statue of Liberty? That they made enough they made more than one and they kept yes, one? Yes, I did know that. You know how fucked that is? That's like getting a present from somebody that's like a that's like getting an air fryer and then going to their house and seeing that they bought themselves the better version of that air fryer. And you're like, Oh, I thought this was a special oh. thing you did. No. Oh, okay. You just Great. okay. Sick. Tight. Tight. Oh, tight. Thank, tight. Thank tight. You. Uh, anyway, go uh, follow us on at Colt Podcast uh, on Instagram if you want to uh, keep in touch and and also keep informed about uh, Panic Fest when that's coming up. Um, and you can go to patreoncom slash Podcast to help us support the show. And I think without any further ado, let's hop into the show. Hello. Hello. Some ticks. <laughs> Don't drink the cool. 
the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits. And as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us, we have wagons. Oh, cool. We're doing the Oregon Trail finally. We're, we're doing Oregon Trail, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we mean by that is not that it was a cult. No, we're going to play the Oregon Trail and yes. just record that for an hour and then yep. put it out as an episode. There you go. Uh, follow us on Twitch at Dysentery is my life. Oh, um, fuck. My wife died. Okay. I don't know oh, if I can keep going. Why can't I carry this much beef jerky? <laughs> It's fucking wild that they let kids play that game. It's so, one, it's really dark. Two, it's just a hard game that just proves to you that no matter how hard you try to prepare, life will beat you down and take your kids to dysentery. I mean, it's it's definitely hard in that resource management paint, which is why I am not a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, it is also weird that we let kids basically play Cowboy God um, <laughs> in school. <laughs> like in the computer lab and shit. Yeah, that's the thing is it was on that old like Mac that they gave to every school that ever existed. And it was that and like cool picks for kids or whatever where you could like word art your way into Van Gogh. Or word muncher. We had word muncher and number muncher. God. You remember... <laughs> this is dumb. Do you remember like, what was it? Fun math games for kids or whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, but also I've never found math fun, so I may have just blocked it out entirely. Oh, yeah. Nobody thinks that math is fun. It was basically like a game with a wizard, and you would solve equations, and then the the wizard would turn around to you and be like, all right, because he was also a <laughs> surfer, which sounds like I, it, all of this sounds like I'm making it up, but it was uh, a game that they had us play instead of doing actual equations. Well, I'm pretty sure that we didn't have it because that would be witchcraft. Um, <laughs> but I could be wrong. It could just be after my time. <laughs> okay. Well, way, way, way before our time, a bunch of Mormons were in covered wagons, Oregon trailing their way across not Oregon. Right. Uh, they had to move. Uh, so... Given that they're moving, do you want to talk about this now right up top so people hear it and listen to it and don't freak out and send us emails? Uh, Yeah, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so there might be some pauses over the next couple of weeks, just, just like one or two episodes, one or two weeks, uh, because Mondo and I are both moving for various reasons and we need to like, you know, pack up our whole lives and shit. That's right. We're starting the compound, and for just forty five ninety five a day, you can come live at our one-and-a-half-acre compound. Is that a lot of space? No, that's not, that's not nearly enough space. Oh, fuck. I have no idea. We were just talking about this. Like, I have no idea how an acreage works because I hear 500 square feet, and I go, that's so spacious. That's, oh. I mean, where uh, my apartment right now is 700 square feet. Um, but 
Jake and I are are moving because we uh, somehow tricked people into letting us buy a house. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're the, bank, the banks, <laughs> we tricked everybody. <laughs> if you're the banks, you got to legally, you got to be cool about this. Now that you've heard it on the podcast, you can't get mad. Got to be it. fucking cool. Be you cool. You got to just be chill. Yeah. And be uh, cool. we sent our proof of income, just a bunch of loose dollars and guns on a bed to you. So be cool. <laughs> And I have made the horrible life decision to uproot my life and move to Austin, Texas. That's right, baby. Austin, Tejas. The the mecca of terrible Mexican food. and uh, It's not Mexican food. Genuinely the place that I think I'm going to get shot. But Realistically. I, <laughs> if it's going to happen. Um, yeah, I'm moving to Austin, Texas. It's going to be fun. Uh, really sad to leave Los Angeles, best city in the world, baby. LA number one. That's right. Everyone else sucks. I'm going to root for the Bay Area instead, but okay, fine. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyone with a brain knows that LA is the best place. Nah. Nah, fool. (laughs) Yeah, I am, uh, I am moving. It's going to be fun. Uh, I am excited to do it. Uh, that's it. I don't know. What else do you say when you're moving to Texas? Yeehaw. Enjoy I'm, Bucky's? I'm, I'm, you know what? Here's the, here's the real thing. I'm, I've become upset with the libs. That's right. <laughs> no, no, Mondo. I became that type of podcaster guy. <laughs> you're going to have to shave your head. Oh, absolutely. And uh, start selling a lot more supplements. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. uh yeah that's gonna put a delay on the uh production of podcasts because uh as you've probably come to know writing these episodes takes like a week's worth of work we also have like full-time jobs and then i add on, add on to that just like moving and stuff which moving uh and packing and yeah. i have not been doing to the level of which i should be doing but well jake and i bought boxes two weeks ago uh, and then have just let them sit in our apartment because the house hunting journey was so terrible for the last two weeks. We had a real bad time. Uh, and so now for the last couple days, as it was like, maybe we could get this house. We were like, should we start packing? Like, I feel like that's going to jinx it. Like if I assemble a box, they're going to be like, no, you don't get the house. Um, but now, now we can start assembling boxes, but all that to say, you're traveling next week, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'll be in Austin, Texas for South by Southwest, uh, Come Fuck With The Kid. And then after that, I'll be in Boston for PAX East, uh, which I guess to a lesser extent, Come Fuck With The Kid. But, yeah. you know, come Dunkin' With The Kid. I'll say that. <laughs> bring, bring me that good old Dunkin' Donuts yeah uh and then yeah and then i'll be moving so a lot of running around a lot of doing you know a bunch of stuff and uh oh boy this this like tension that you're hearing in my voice it's not because i don't want to move to austin it's because i don't want to move period i hate moving i hate moving as well and and the only thing that is like motivating me to do it is like i'm a backyard bitch now I have a back-ass yard. I I was telling Paige before we started recording, I called my mom and we were both on the phone like, this bitch got a backyard now in complete (laughs) disbelief. Because you're you're Los Angeles royalty now. Yeah, Los Angeles royalty because we have a backyard and air conditioning. What, what? On the ultimate come up, fucker. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus Uh, Christ. Yeah. 
Uh, and a porch. We're going to get trick-or-treaters this year. I'm so fucking excited. I Like, I am legitimately stoked. Um, but that means at least next week there will probably not be an episode. Um, probably will be one the week after from what we had planned. And then potentially not the week after that because we're kind of in panic fest but also moving around the same time so that is true i forgot i have to go to panic fest. <laughs> yeah 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 well that was like so when can you guys move i was like well i'm gone all of april so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Ooh. oh man there's definitely there's nothing worse than knowing you have to pay double rent for like one month uh we planned to like we we specifically saved money to pay double rent so that we would not have to have a rushed move but we were also we thought we were going to potentially be moving right now mm-hmm. not have bought the house right now so we're like a month behind what our schedule was and so now we're bumping up against all of my travel like my comedy travel for the year so it'll be an experience all of this is to say uh that you know the hosts that you once knew and loved have become sellouts who are adults and no longer relatable to their sold audience. out completely absolutely Fucking sellouts. i'm so um, sorry yeah you know i got shelves you can see them behind me you got shelves i'm gonna set up my new office in my house because i'll have my own office uh for video and all kinds of cool shit so what a wild concept to me because both of us have the same setup right now that people can't see because it's you know we we always record audio Mm -hmm. only um we're both just in our bedrooms yeah 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 Yeah, this is which is a huge part of why we were trying to buy a house because like I'm recording sometimes late into the evening or whatever, and my husband needs to, like, I don't know, sleep. So, like, that's been a problem. (laughs) So, yeah. I can imagine it would be hard to sleep when you're like, and Joseph Smith got shot in the face. (laughs) Shot in the fucking face and then yelled about it and then died. Yeah. (laughs) I love that your husband's always like, I have weird dreams every night (laughs) about strange Utah men getting shot in the face. I think my favorite was I did an AMA the other day on a day when I was trying not to think about house things because it was going so bad. And somebody asked what Jake's favorite overheard thing from the podcasts were (laughs) because he even so we we literally it is a one bedroom. There's a living room, a kitchen and then the bedroom. They all share walls. The walls are paper thin. Jake hears everything we say on every podcast ever. Like he doesn't listen to our podcasts like when they come out because he had to live through them when they happened and (laughs) he hears half a podcast (laughs) here's half a podcast every time uh and his answer was he's really into bone bat which is a recurring character on horror virgin (laughs) okay yeah from our house episode there's this like 1980s like stop motion animation bat made of bones like a skele bat and we call him bone bat and he's come back a couple times so Jake's a fan of Bone Bat. That's really interesting that you could buy a house after running a horror podcast for so long. Because I feel like a lot of movies start with like a, a couple that just wants to get out of the big city. And they found a house. And they can't believe that they could afford it. And there's just something wrong, but they can't put their finger on it. So it's probably fine. And then fucking Bone Bat, dude. You're gonna get Bone Batted. So, Armando... I definitely did my homework. Uh Uh, (laughs) This is a single owner home. So like the people who bought it new are the people who owned it up until we are about to own it. 
and they are both still alive. So as far as I know. Well, his second wife is still alive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, and, and as far as I know, there's no graveyard under it where they moved the like stones, but not the graves. Uh, supposedly no ghosts. Uh-huh. Fingers well, crossed. <laughs> but I don't know if you know how hard it was to find a 1950s ranch in Los Angeles that had not had the original floor plan altered because we did it because we're magic because god smiles down upon us uh yeah which if you're unfamiliar what Paige is talking about is how i don't know what it is about uh mexican americans it's just something ingrained into our dna as soon as we get a house that garage master bedroom baby a hundred percent of the time we alter everything we build a couple extra bedrooms it's awesome i love it i love a house where you can tell like huh this room definitely didn't come with the building <laughs> What is this weird maze? What is this bathroom in the middle of the kitchen? I'm confused. How come I can... Uh, hey, yeah. Grandma, how come when I sleep in the guest bedroom, I can hear the outside? Why is that? Why? I can hear the outside? <laughs> how come yeah, that work? I told you... I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast. I know I've told Mikey and Todd about it off the podcast. I think I told you. The first house we saw... So the house we saw right before the one that we are, have, are now purchasing. They had closed off the garage. And they were like, well, you could always just take the wall down. And we were like, well, that's like a big undertaking. They're like, no, 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 come look. And they had just built a wall <laughs> over the garage door mechanisms just around it. So like the tracks that the garage door would ride on come through the room, through the wall. And then, you know, that little like box in the middle of your garage that like pulls the door. Yeah, that's in the middle of the room. And they just like cut a hole in the drywall. So, like, <laughs> technically, you could still open and close the garage door through the drywall. And they were like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not permitted. And we're like, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> like, who the who would permit this? Oh, my God. They also had, like, a whole outdoor enclosure of, of like, parrots and peacocks and, like, so many chicken and roosters. And they were like, you know, the birds could come with the house. And I was like... No, thank you. <laughs> it sounds like they're selling the house just to get rid of the birds. If I'm being I think honest they were like, you. they're taking over. I don't know. Oh my uh, god! But yeah, we saw that and we were like, oh my god, this is a fool's errand. Why did we try to buy a house ever? And then we saw the one that we are moving into, and we're like, oh, this is beautiful. And then we had to like fight like four people for it. So uh, physically, by the way, when, uh, they called them yeah. all to an what was what was labeled as an open house. Correct. And then they took. Uh, <laughs> They took hey, a load. None of the rest of them had machetes, and that's their mistake. A hundred percent. Yeah, Paige always comes packing with that machete. Yeah, melee weapons for the win. Oh my god. Well, we've talked about houses for damn near fifteen minutes now. Sorry, but at least now you know what's up. So if there isn't an episode, you're not like, what happened? Now you know. It's we'll yeah. be we'll be back. We just gotta you know move some boxes. We made this one extra long, so you can cover it over <laughs> over the course of several days. Yeah, this actually might be kind of long. Uh, anyway, let's dig into sources so we can get into it. Ready? Mm -hmm. All right. We have Fawn Brody's No Man Knows My History. We have John G. Turner's Brigham Young Pioneer Prophet. Uh, we have Leonard J. Arrington, Brigham Young American Moses. We'll talk about that a little bit today and how he gets that moniker. Uh, we also have articles on Brigham Young from both Joseph Smith Papers and churchofjesuschrist.org, which is the LDS's website. And we also have the quick A to Z guide to Mormonism part two from the Salt Lake Tribune. And I have a little mini recap from one of our listeners 
from the endowment ceremony last week. So let's dive in. Absolutely. Real quick, do they call him American Moses because he took two two of every kind of white people? That's Noah. You made the same mistake last oh, week, too. Oh, no. Moses was the one who did what? He split the sea? He took the Israelites across the desert from Egypt to Israel. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. okay. So, Noah is the one with the boat. He's the boat dad. And yes, then Moses is God's Uber driver. Yeah, Moses is foot daddy. Uh, uh-huh. Noah is boat daddy. Moses is the one that comes down with the tablets and the Ten Commandments. Ah, okay, okay. Wow, he really did a lot of shit. Also, did you see the movie Prince of Egypt? That's Moses. <laughs> I did not. I did not oh, I'm sorry. I'm old. Whatevs. <laughs> it was a very popular cartoon when I was young. Uh, it I've has seen... really cool songs. I saw Encanto. Is one of those guys Moses? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not that I know of. They might okay. be named Moses. Sure, yeah. Well, we don't talk about Moses. So, all right. Yeah. Anyway, hop mm-hmm. on in. Give me that Give me that uh, endowment ceremony. All right. So, Catherine, uh, one of our listeners in Texas, who, very sweet. I have met her a handful of times at a few different things. Uh, she uh, was previously a Mormon and has told us some of the stories of what happened to her during her endowment ceremony and what she knows about endowment ceremonies in general. So I'm actually really excited about this. I was, there is also, there's a couple videos online that we were able to find of people who snuck cameras in. They're not complete. Um, and they don't go through every single part, obviously, because there's some parts, as you'll find out when we talk about this, that you can't sneak a camera into. Uh, so let's talk about it. So, According to Catherine, before 1990, uh, the washing and anointing was done by someone of the same gender who physically touched your naked body in the area said during the blessing. So it was the top of your head, the breast, the stomach, and the knee. And that's the same spot where temple garments have special symbols sewn into them. So in 1990, they changed it so that you're wearing like a thin garment like a shift and it's mostly just touching the top of the head um she says that she got her endowment done in 2008 and hated it and has blocked out a lot of what happened during that ceremony so after the initiatory which is the washing and anointing part you are allowed to put on your temple garments that you purchased from the temple for the first time Uh, She says they're the most uncomfortable underwear you will ever wear in your life uh, and that it is like wedgie central. Um, (laughs) Something about the fabric just gets all up in your business, according to Catherine. Mm. Um, But after the washing, you go out in your garments to a special room and you put on a full temple clothing outfit. So it's a white dress with white stockings and shoes, a white shirt, a tie, pants, jacket if you're uh, um, a man uh socks and shoes and you're also carrying a packet of all the accessories that you have to put on during the ceremony so it's a veil for women or a white hat for men a white robe and then a green apron that's supposed to look like leaves she says that you then watch a slideshow of the creation myth and during it you have to put all the things on in a certain order and take them off and turn around and put them back on basically like kind of she says it's basically fiddly stuff where it's like put the veil on take the veil off put the veil on take the veil off then (sighs) you go into the promises portion of the ceremony 
and this she says is a lot like kind of what we said where it's kind of call and response uh she says they don't have anything memorized because previously literally up until like this year you would not be told what would happen in the endowment ceremony before it happens so it's only now that they kind of prepare people for what is supposed to happen during the ceremony she says that you're also taught secret handshakes uh and if you want to see them in action, she linked a, a video. It is one of the ones from YouTube. And she also linked it in the Facebook group, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the celestial name, she says, is the same as everyone else endowed on that day. So, like, if you are a woman and you got endowed on, like, March 7th, everyone that day would be, like, Rachel or whatever. So, part of the reason they don't tell people is because then people would realize they all had the same name. So, there's that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Okay. Uh, but she also, in, in the Facebook group particularly, goes through a couple different things with sealing and celestial marriages. Um, and a few different listeners kind of clarified that uh, Mormonism is really trying to, like, play down the whole planet thing and doesn't really teach it actively um, because they realize that it sounds weird. And so for the last, like, 20 years, they've been like, yeah, I mean, we did say that, but... uh not so much now, but mm. like we do have records of it previously. So like it was full blown doctrine previously, but has now changed. Something Todd and I have talked about is that one of the things about Mormonism that I think has made it last as long as it has is that any prophet is valid in a way. And so you can always have changes to fit with the times. So as we get later into the series, we'll talk a little bit about Brigham Young in particular's race relations and how that changes over time. Because at a certain point, the church realizes that you can't just be openly racist. Mm. And so they have like a new revelation to be diverse, essentially. <laughs> and we'll get to that eventually. Okay, cool. I'm glad they saw like an after school special or something and then totally Yeah, I mean, that's about when it happened. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sick. That, yeah. That's so tight. Um, I have a question. When sure. in Mormonism, you're so the planet thing. If yes. they're like, we're walking this back, this is no longer something that we want to teach, does that mean that it doesn't... Is that like saying, hey, we got the science back, it turns out this is different than how we thought it worked? So are they saying, like, we were wrong about this and it's actually different? Or are they saying, hey, God shut off the planet thing, you, all those other people grandfathered into planets, <laughs> like your grandfather, uh, and everyone else, no more planets. How L. Ron Hubbard of you. Uh, so I think it is more the latter, but I think it's along the lines of this was always kind of a metaphor. Does that make sense? Uh, okay. So they, okay. So, Where yeah, yeah. there's still a heaven, like, you know, heaven is still part of the, the thing. And it's like by planets, we just meant that you would live together in heaven, mm. which is a real easy way to make it sound less crazy to a lot of people you know when you think about it because if you went to most most christians and were like do you think you'll get to be with your family in heaven they'd be like yeah of course yeah so i think it's kind of aligning in that way that's such a that's such a 
I don't know. It to me it feels I'm getting the same vibe as like the Halloween reboot where they just like rebooted after the second <laughs> Turns one. Turns out it's his sister. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, "Oh, that's kind of well, I cuz when I was growing up it was one thing and now you've Okay. All right. Yeah, no, no, no. Whatever. I'm down. I'm down. You said Danny McBride's in this one? <laughs> Sick. <laughs> I honestly I like 2018. 2018 is probably my favorite. It was very good. I liked it a lot, but it also fucks with my head that all the stuff that I thought doesn't exist anymore. And uh that's well, it's what just I, two different tracks. Like I view it as alternate timelines. See, What's up? And that's something that we can do because we have the multiverse, but saying that like Mormons have the multiverse of Mormonism is very strange to my brain to be like, hey, this used to be like a whole big part of our doctrine, but now And it's then a, this one is like the Doctor Strange track, and then yeah. this is like the Captain America Winter Soldier track, and then this is what's going on in Wakanda right now. Well, because you can say like, yeah, we always thought it was a metaphor, but straight up, no, they used to. Some people did not think it was a metaphor. (laughs) So that's kind of like, so at, at the very, very best case scenario, what's happening is that in your religion, some person got to heaven and went, what the fuck is all this? What do you mean well, a I, metaphor? I think, the, I think the argument then gets to be like, well, you don't know what heaven looks like. You don't know what heaven's definition of a planet is. Maybe it, maybe heaven is a bunch of planets, and this is just how we've described it, but like we're just being a little more general to be open to other interpretations. Yeah. All right, whatever. Try to lawyer me out of fucking God. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> it's cool. Let's move on. It's we, chill. I mean- have you maybe you should adjust your temple wedgie because like you're seeming really upset right now and maybe uncomfortable yeah yeah there's something about these lies that just get up all up in my business yep mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anyway back to our story so brigham young sends out the vanguard group to scout ahead so this is going to be the first group that travels from illinois or well, Nebraska, their their winter area, uh, to Salt Lake City. So on April fifth, eighteen forty seven, they set out in the afternoon around two p.m. and they were able to make it about three miles that afternoon. Brigham Young managed most of the journey himself, including discipline. He was like Judge Judy and executioner. So they used to at the beginning of the trip have like late night recreation, storytelling, dancing, etc. And then they would rest on Sundays for the Sabbath. So they would travel six days in a row. Uh, but people got too rowdy. So they had to stop that. What do you mean too rowdy? You know, I don't know what the Mormon version of rowdy is. I have to imagine a cup of coffee, but <gasps> who knows? No, that's, that's just too far. If you drink coffee, can you get into heaven? Wait, what's the deal with that? Oh, I mean, as far as I believe, you could drink pretty much anything and get into heaven, except for maybe like the blood of someone you killed. Uh, At that point, you might have to have some longer conversations about that shit. Um, Well, all this means is that I'm looking forward to sipping lean in heaven with Jesus. But I guess I meant like in Mormonism, how bad is drinking coffee? Like, I know they're not allowed to do that. Um, I mean, I would say that Mormonism plays in some ways a lot like regular Christianity rules with that kind of stuff where forgiveness is possible um, for most things. (laughs) 
forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been 20 days since my last confession. I had a frappuccino, okay? Oh, they're so tasty. Uh, it's just they have kind of different rules uh, from what I understand. I mean, like, you know, like my flavor of Jesus serves coffee. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You I know. had an iced matcha latte. I thought it was a milkshake, Father. Uh, the last time I was at church around Thanksgiving, which has been a few years because we've stayed here the last few Thanksgiving, they had uh, an apple pie-der, which was basically an apple cider latte uh-huh. with a little bit of cinnamon. Whoo! Just out of the church cafe. It was delicious. <laughs> Okay. So good. I uh I've become a, a grumpy old man who just likes black coffee. Uh, That's I never Jake thought I would be black coffee. I never thought I'd be that guy. And then here I am where I'm just like, I want the taste of the beans. So <laughs> you know. <laughs> Alright, so they're they're traveling six days. It's uh, it's getting rowdy, which again, <laughs> I really want to know what rowdy means for the Mormons. You're clapping too hard. Yeah. Stomping your feet too much. Uh, I don't have a ton of details, although Mm -hmm. I do think uh, this portion may have shaped some of the no coffee, no alcohol, etc. rules. (laughs) (laughs) Because we know Joseph Smith allegedly was like no coffee, no alcohol, no etc. But it was kind of a person by person basis on some of that stuff. So I think perhaps this is where some of those things get solidified. That's so, it's the theory that if there's a sign, there's a reason the sign is there. (laughs) Yeah, that's honestly, when I was researching this, I was like, I wonder if that's why. And then I couldn't find a definitive answer, but I was like, you know what? That makes sense. This makes so much more sense. Yeah. Where they got normal, regular rowdy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And then afterwards, Brigham was like, okay, look, no more caffeine. It keeps you way up past your bedtime. All right. You got to cut it out. Well, and and that's a real thing because they would start their day every morning at 5 (laughs) a.m. They would be woken up by a bugle blown mm. by Brigham or one of his friends the uh, horn the horn the okay. horn yeah no 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 I had nacho chip. cheese bugles the other day and like that's a fun way to wake up yeah a horn <laughs> not so much Brigham Young puts uh, bugles <laughs> on the witch his hands fingers and so just... he can do th- and then he lightly scratches your face and goes hey yeah. time to wake up time to, time wake, to up. wake up <laughs> uh so they woke up they woke up at five. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to be ready to move and travel by seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had two hours to kind of pack everything up. Each day's travel ended at 8:30 p.m. and everyone was expected to be in bed by 9 p.m., which means that they only had a half hour a night to get rowdy. So like, how rowdy can you get? In 30 minutes. Yeah, that's... Look, this is unfortunate, but that's what we in the bar scene like to call the the last call rush all right? <laughs> yeah 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 closing one- <laughs> time open up your wagons to the places you will be from yes no see that's a good closing time where people are like all right gotta go close out my tab and get out of here i'm talking about it's 1 30 lights come on and everyone's like fucking shots right now dude <laughs> And you're like, fuck I know yeah. who I want to live on a planet with in heaven after this. Yeah. 
Yeah, see, you have, like, good closing time with the song, and then you have a dude named Kyle with a backwards visor cap, and those are the two types of closing time. Did you say, bro? Like, and that kind of yeah, energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like the Mormons were, what did you say, broing their way through this fucking trip. <laughs> that rooster looked at me funny. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, they would then stay camped on Sunday to observe the Sabbath. So they had like Mm -hmm. a whole day to get rowdy. So maybe that's when the rowdiness was the problem. Anyway, the longer they went, the more the Brigham started to assign certain tasks to people. And some of these we'll get to in just a second are pretty basic and not that interesting. But he actually did one really kind of smart thing and he assigned a task to two specific travelers, William Clayton and Orson Pratt. Now, William was an essentially a kind of farmer, but he was artistic a little bit and could write. He could read and write. Orson, Orson Pratt, was a mathematician. And then the two of them enlisted Appleton Harmon, that's his real name, Uh, who was a carpenter on the journey with them. And the three of them collaborated to make a wagon wheel odometer. Essentially, yes, I know, this is crazy, but it's one of the most interesting things that happens in this portion. They could measure how many revolutions of the wagon wheel were in each mile. So that allowed them to measure how many miles they were traveling per day but also how many, specifically how many miles between landmarks. Because even though they had maps and they knew how many miles the entire journey was, it was very difficult to get a sense of how far they were actually going day by day unless they were hitting landmarks. So they create this odometer and then William Clayton takes all of that information and creates a guide that basically draws out landmarks so people have visual cues, but it also gives listings of like, this took us X amount of miles for this amount of time with these amount of people, and you have to watch out for like this river or this rock. But it allowed a written guide for the journey they took and things to look out for. So Clayton, Oddly enough, William Clayton was pretty poor. We'll get into it in a little bit, but a lot of these people are super fucking poor. William Clayton is pretty poor, and he needed a way to finance his family's journey to Salt Lake. They were literally running on fumes. So he takes this guide to Brigham Young and is like, we did what you asked. We've been measuring and mapping this out, but I think we could publish this and make some money. And so they publish it as the Latter-day Saints Emigrant's Guide, also known as Clayton's Guide or Clayton's Emigrant's Guide. Now, this gets really popular and they sold them for about $5 a piece, but they would sell out. Uh, And they do contact publishers kind of back on the East Coast so that they can publish a ton of them, sell them to the Mormons that are still there so that as Mormons set out, they had this guide to kind of help them through. Now, the problem when something is super popular is that other people steal it. So some people stole portions of the guide for a guide to California. So Joseph E. Ware's Emigrant's Guide to California steals from Clayton's Guide. But also another publishing house called Fisher and Bennett just started making unauthorized copies and selling them for 50 cents each to undercut the ones that they were selling for $5 each. Yeah. That... (laughs) Okay. 
and he's obviously not making any money on those. So they wrote to them and are like, could you not? We were trying to like raise money for a thing. And they replied, quote, we consider ourselves perfectly safe without purchasing the copyright. <laughs> Basically like, come and get us, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sick. Yeah. I like that vibe, honestly. Yeah. Now, what will happen later on, and we've covered this a couple times on a couple different episodes, uh, where the Mormons are in contact with people in the UK who are helping to fund them for a lot of this. And so various members of the church and the Twelve Apostles go back and forth from the UK. Uh, William Clayton will eventually be one of them. So he actually goes to the UK for a short amount of time after they're established in Salt Lake, and he tries to sell this to immigrants there, but isn't able to find a publishing house in time. Now, currently, modern day, if you have a first edition of this, like one of the original ones from 1848, essentially, uh, it's worth a lot of money. They mostly only get sold at auction for thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars each. And many of them are falling apart. It's very rare to find one intact because people would make notes in it and it would have had to have survived the voyage for the most part. Um, now, you can buy modern versions of this because they still publish it basically up to modern day. Now it's used as like a history book of like, here's how these people kind of walked through this journey. And they are anywhere from 5 to $12 each on eBay if you're looking for older ones uh, or like 12 to $20 each if you're looking at newer ones. But they are largely overshadowed by a book called The Butler's Guide to Grooming, by Nicholas Clayton, who for some reason, I think just alphabetically, ends up listed ahead of William Clayton in almost every single search result. <laughs> so, wait, what's his book called again? The Butler's Guide to Grooming. The and Butler's... I think it's like self-grooming, like personal grooming. Mm, this feels like a book that when you buy it, you open it and there's a flask in it. That doesn't seem like a real <laughs> book. Or it's, you know, some directions that really shouldn't be put in print and it's troubling. Like, <laughs> try to make the children your friends. Oh, no. What oh, is this? No. Oh, no. Oh, never identify that your, uh, that your master is a superhero named the Batman. <laughs> right, like, oh, right, right, right. Wow. Oh, oh. This really covers all the butlers, huh? This section on treating, like, Joker injuries is pretty great. <laughs> Uh, the first thing that a butler has to understand is that we do, in fact, live in a society. That is true. <laughs> um, so let's talk about how they traveled this route now that they have a map. They traveled usually large farm wagons um, or, in many cases, something called hand carts, which are basically wheelbarrows. And in some cases, personally carrying their belongings on their back because they were that poor. Now, if you remember, a lot of these people lost everything in Missouri and Illinois. So they are literally clothes on their backs and that's what they are taking with them. And in cases where they couldn't afford the voyage uh, or the journey, the church would try to cover and pay for them. But the church also doesn't have a lot of money because remember the counterfeiting scheme. Uh, so they were getting money from the UK to fund this voyage and then trying to spread it out among everybody. Yeah. Tough. 
Uh, and as I mentioned last time, they had kind of deviated from part of the original Oregon Trail where they went around the Platte River. Now, this was very, very difficult for them to do. However, they had something that a lot of other people didn't. A boat. Mm. They had actually brought a boat with them. Their boat daddy. They are also boat daddy. Okay, so now you're seeing why I'm starting to get confused. Because you told me they were foot daddy. But it turns out they were foot daddy and, and boat, boat daddy. daddy. And we're going to get to that boat in just a second. Just keep it in your mind. Remember that they have a boat. Now, when they initially set out, they tried to spread the word on what they thought they might need uh, if you were to undertake this voyage. So the Nauvoo Neighbor, which was a newspaper, uh, in 1845 printed a list of provisions. The list includes two to three yoke of oxen. So that's somewhere between two to six cows. Oh. Um, or male cows specifically. Two milk cows. And then it just says other livestock. But I would assume that would be a mule or a goat or something like that. Um, arms and ammunition. 15 pounds of iron, pulleys, and ropes and fishing gear. Now, the iron seems like a weird note, but remember that they would travel with someone who had blacksmithing ability and you would need to reshoe horses and sometimes repair parts of your wagons, etc. So if you had 15 pounds of iron, you could then utilize that with the blacksmith to repair those things. Um, farming and mechanical equipment for when you got there and you could establish your farm cooking equipment, and at least a thousand pounds of flour, plus other food items. Some of these people overestimated what they needed uh, and would have to leave it on the side of the road because their cows, their oxen basically couldn't pull what they were dragging. And it was expected that even though they're bringing a bunch of flour, they're hunting along the way. Now, Brigham Young was very, very specific about how much you could hunt, only hunt what you need, um, or at least so he says. Uh, but that's kind of the expectation is that you had to bring enough ammunition and enough flour and cooking equipment to then hunt and cook along the way. I want to tell you how stupid I am because you said uh, two yoke of oxen, and in my head I went, "Oh, like a like a like an egg, like that's what mm. the oxen are oh, born from." Y o k e, yeah. yoke. Which yeah 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 that it's makes the thing that carries them holds that, them. That makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah. Instead, my brain was like, "Oh yeah, you could grow an ox in a in an egg," and that's <laughs> and then I thought that, and then that's why I hung my head in shame there for about forty seconds. Because I realized that uh, ox are not Pokemon, and you can't just grow them in an egg. That's true. Uh, oh, you now, can cut out that egg part. <laughs> no, leave the eggs in. Leave it in. Uh, what was our egg thing? Egg? How? How make egg? How egg? No, you no need sex make egg. No need sex make egg. Uh, anyway, because this is a lot of stuff to carry, and you've only got two to six cows. Uh-huh. Uh they would have to discard things along the way. So they would discard their possessions like book collections, china, and furniture. No, that's yes. the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the Kimball family, you might remember them uh, as some of the people that introduced Brigham Young to Mormonism a couple episodes ago. They knew that they would have to discard a number of buffalo skins, but figured that they would be worth money later. So they actually dug a large hole and buried it and then came back <laughs> for it 
and then brought it to the Salt Lake Valley. Some people did that too. Uh, some people, the later companies, uh, and they actually have called them hand cart pioneers because uh, they were pushing wheelbarrows or smaller carts. Uh, some of them would just pick up those provisions along the way. So like they would kind of gather things if they had a way to carry them. A lot of times they didn't. They were just carrying things in their hands and on their backs. So my, f- my favorite part of this is realizing that there is more evidence of uh, buried Mormon treasure than there ever has been of buried pirate treasure. I will never forget when we were kids and we would watch HGTV and we would watch trading spaces or whatever. And they'd be like, we found this 1800s like clock or whatever on the side of the road. And I just remember being like, mom, why don't we ever find cool shit on the side of the road? And she was like, because we live in the East Bay. (laughs) Like we, we live in the Bay area where people have like, that all the road shit was collected a hundred years ago. (laughs) You're not going to find any road shit. And this is an 1800s mattress that we found on the side of the road. These bed bugs date all the way back (laughs) to the migration. Uh, Uh, I I also love the idea of having a show that's like uncovering Mormon treasure. And you're just like, we found it. We found it, guys. A shiffer robe or whatever they used to have back then. I feel like they always called stuff different, cooler names. I feel like if you found a lot of Mormon treasure, you should check it to see if it's counterfeit. Oh. Given how much counterfeiting we have encountered on these episodes. I found these gold plates. <laughs> oh, my God. If somebody finally found the plates, it'd be like, we were wrong this whole time. <laughs> He's got dinner, salad, and dessert. I feel like that would be the ultimate uh, prank, is to go to Utah and just start burying gold plates on a people's <laughs> property. Oh, You can't also, be the one to uncover it, but you can be the one to sneak onto their property and bury it in a place where they will find it. This happened forever ago, and I think I sent you photos, but I don't think we ever talked about it on the podcast. Someone made us gold plates. Uh <laughs> <laughs> they are very, very yeah. cool. I will have to post pictures of them on socials when I can find the pictures I took or take new ones uh, and tag the person that made them for us uh, because they were very, very cool. So Absolutely I will get those up incredible. so we can we can show them. They were very fun. Yes, um, please. So for women on this journey, uh, most of them were taking care of children, uh, either theirs or others on the journey to try and keep pace because they are traveling 14 to 20 miles per day. They also were responsible for cooking, mending and sewing, uh, and they were scribes and diary keepers. So they were also responsible with recording what was happening on the journey. Uh, So Harriet Page Young, who is the wife of Lorenzo Young, who's one of Brigham Young's kind of um, not children, but like, assorted relatives Mm -hmm. she was one of the first people selected for the company uh because she was sick and they worried that if they left her and her young children behind she would die so they took her along with a handful of other wives of the 12 the quorum of 12 so ellen sanders kimball who again from the kimball family uh clarissa decker young who's one of brigham young's wives Uh, They were also asked to accompany the group to look after Harriet Young specifically to keep her company and ideally keep her from dying. So 
Those three were the original three, and then there were two children. They're Harriet Page Young's children. Uh, They don't gain any additional women in the group until they get to Laramie, Wyoming. Now, Laramie, Wyoming is kind of an interesting place for them. They get to Fort Laramie, where they are joined by a whole group of Mormons from Mississippi who have basically heard that they were traveling and traveled up to meet with them in Laramie, Wyoming. So they kind of gain them as a group, but they also gain something called the Mormon Battalion. Now, the Mormon Battalion was actually a battalion from the United States military, and they were recruited solely from the Mormons uh, and gave them the title, the Mormon Battalion. They served from July 1846 to July 1847 during the Mexican-American War. This is kind of funny because, as you'll recall from last week, the Mormons try are trying initially to get to Mexico. They have the counterfeit Mexican money. They're trying to avoid the American government. What they don't realize is that all of the Mormons that had joined the army as a Mormon battalion are fighting Mexico. <laughs> so they're fighting their own interests. They don't even realize it. Um, but... They fight in the Mexican-American War, which America eventually wins. Uh, And then they have to march 2,100 miles from Iowa to San Diego, California, uh, to basically support the secession of the Southwest from Mexico to the United States uh, to support the Gadsden Purchase that would happen years later. Now, This also opens a wagon route to California, but specifically Southern California. There already were routes to Northern California. This brings Southern California into play. And this basically is due to this battalion. They help expand through California, Utah, Nevada, and Arizona. But after that, they march up to Fort Laramie, where they meet up with the rest of the Mormons. Basically, they're done fighting. They meet up with the Mormons. So now we have the original vanguard group, the group from Mississippi, and the battalion. So there's another group also traveling, and we don't really have a ton of time to spend on them in this episode. They would make a great uh, speculation zone, which I still have to upload the other one we have. Um, But there's a group that sets out from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, sails to San Francisco, California, Mormon, just Mormon boat, San Francisco, mm-hmm. California, gets to San Francisco, marches up to meet the rest of the wagon train. Like it's they have people coming from all sides, but the Brooklyn, San Francisco Mormons are super interesting. We'll have to cover them another time. But yeah, at this I, point, hold yeah. on this. Uh, I'm sorry, because I'm 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 not a very smart person. OK, sure. I get that. How when you sail from Brooklyn to San Francisco is there like a canal yet or how are they are they going all the way around North America Uh, let me see if the Panama Canal is open yet but I think you're going around yeah that sounds (laughs) that's like that thing from Bojack where it's like are you going you got to go from New York to California are you taking the canal like a fucking liberal are you going around like a man so the canal didn't open until 1914. Yeah. So they missed it by about 50 years. So they would have sailed all the way around, which to be honest, uh, I believe my family did. 
uh, when they came from Italy because they landed in San Francisco and that was kind of one of the only ways to get there. So wow, yeah. How long yeah. does that trip take? A long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it would take if you left in April, which most people did because you wanted to travel during the summer, but not during the winter because you wanted to avoid storms. Uh, so it takes 171 days. Oh, Christ. Okay. Yeah. So half a year, basically. It takes you six months, give or take, God. from April to s- September is what it says. Yeah. Well, this might not be the best time to announce this, but I am sailing to Austin. So. <laughs> It's going to take me 14 and a half days. Yeah. And uh, oof, buddy, I will not be able to podcast because I will be <laughs> on the high seas. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's for the only reason I I know, I guess now that that's how my grandparents came is because they arrived in San Francisco before the 1906 earthquake. Mm-hmm. So the, I guess that's how they sailed. Um Unless they sailed to New York and came across, but from what we've been able to understand and find, they landed in San Francisco. So, I don't know. Yeah. So that group, whole different ball game. Uh, they actually end up landing instead of in San Francisco. That's like their intended target. They land in modern day San Diego. <laughs> and they point. just call it San Francisco. Well, no, they like they meet up with like the battalion people and then some people go north to San Francisco and other people stay. And it's like a whole thing. It's a super interesting story that I was like, I didn't know this happened at all. This is just a weird side quest. Anyway, at this point from Fort Laramie, the this much larger group uh, took what was at that point the established Oregon Trail toward Fort Bridger. Now. On the way, they have to cross the Platte River because that's the part where they kind of deviate from the original Oregon Trail. And they had a boat. And so they start boating things across. And as they leave, they actually leave the boat with a whole group of men behind. And they task them with building a ferry at that crossing so that the people who come behind them have an easier cross. So this whole group is responsible for building one of the first and largest ferries in that part of the country to get people across that river. So once there, they make it to Fort Bridger. If you're not familiar with Jim Bridger, famous mountain man, explorer, wrote a lot of the pamphlets for the Oregon Trail and Fort Bridger, his outpost, you might remember them from a pretty unfortunate historical happening. Uh, he was the one who advised the Donner Party that their route was safe. Yeah. And that worked out well for them, right? No. Huh? Absolutely not. Now, granted, part of the reason it works out badly for them is they leave at the wrong time of the year. So they time it badly because it is a longer journey and they kind of get stuck in a few different places. If you're interested in it, I so highly recommend the last podcast on the left episodes on the Donner Party. They are probably some of my favorite episodes they have ever done. It is fascinating and horrifying and just super interesting and fascinating to me. But this is now one year later. People know what happened to the Donner Reed Party. uh, And the Mormons, Brigham Young in particular, had received conflicting advice for how they should proceed having considered what happened to the Donna Reed party. Now, the Mormons are actually leaving in the right part of the year. It's unlikely they're going to hit the same problems. 
Um, but they also meet up with a trapper named Miles Goodyear who has a trading post a little bit further out. And he tells them that the Weber Valley, after the Rocky Mountains, has a lot of farming potential and that's kind of close to where they want to be. So they take the established Oregon Trail route. They move up into the Rocky Mountains where a bunch of them get sick with what's called, quote, mountain fever. Historically, <laughs> we think this is probably a Colorado tick fever where it's a kind of a variation of kind of like Lyme disease, mm -hmm. kind of. Uh, they get bit by a lot of ticks. They get a lot of sick, uh, including Brigham Young himself. Uh, now, Brigham Young leaves pretty much all of the just completely riddled in ticks, sick people behind and takes everyone who's not sick and a scouting division to move along the designated route, even though he's super sick. Um, now, he sends the scouting division ahead. They reach the valley, the Salt Lake Valley, in July of 1847. And within days, they had already planted things. They'd started building uh, like houses, farms, all of it. They literally have potatoes and turnips fully planted two days later. <laughs> like they are, they waste no time. Uh, and so they send word that Brigham Young should come behind them. Uh, and he shows up and is like, yep, this is definitely the place. I saw it in a vision. So they set a monument there for where he made the declaration that this was the place. <laughs> Uh, and even though he was sick from tick bites, four days later, he establishes a location for a new Salt Lake Temple and starts building it. Uh, he presents a city plan to the larger group, all of them. And in August of 1847, so literally days later, they return back the way they came to then help escort the next groups of people down. So... In, the, in that year, they escort almost 2,000 people just that winter, that first ride through. And over the next few years, it was up to 70,000. Now, part of the problem and part of the reason they kept trying to bring more people is because they didn't have much of an adult labor force. The group, 53.2% of the group was under the age of 19. Most of them were children. And 25% of that 53 were under the age of eight. So almost a quarter of their entire group is children-ass children because they just stay having children. Tons of wives, tons of kids. Yeah. So they're having to try and get as many families and as many people out so that they just have enough people to build things because kids can't build things. So... Every year for the next 20 years, they organize people into companies uh, of 10 and 50, usually with people who have done the trail before, and they pull people from those outside cities into Salt Lake and into the Salt Lake Valley. So that's why Salt Lake City has so many Mormons. They literally were like, any of you, if you can hold a hammer, like, please come. Uh, <laughs> To this day, July 24th, 1847 is now recognized as Pioneer Day in Utah. And because of the way that all of this happened, because Brigham Young basically shepherds all of the Mormons into, air quotes, the promised land 
much as Moses shepherded the Israelites into the promised land. That is why they give him the moniker of American Moses. So upon being asked why he chose for them to settle in the Salt Lake Valley, Brigham Young once said, we've been kicked out of the frying pan into the fire, out of the fire into the middle of the floor. And here we are. And here we will stay. God has shown me that this is the spot to locate his people. And here is where they will prosper. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Wow. Damn. Or rather two weeks from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, look, if my breakfast fell out of the frying pan into the fire onto the floor, I don't want it anymore. So yeah, no, it's going to have hair and dust and shit on it. Yeah. (laughs) I guess so. Salt Lake City, if you live there, you're fucking a gross breakfast, dude. You're just, uh, food that you're you're the the, five second rule of people. You're the five second rule of people. (laughs) That's terrible. I'm sure a lot of you are very nice. Very nice, uncaffeinated individuals. Yeah, yeah. You got too rowdy once back in the day, and now you're not allowed to rowd it up anymore. Yeah. Oh, well, hey, thank you, Paige, so much uh, for bringing us this. Um, this is really interesting. Now I know why there's so many Mormons in Salt Lake City. Now you and, know. and I know that I confuse Noah and Moses all the time. And all the time? I they I don't know what it is. It's the O sound. Moses, yeah. Noah. Noah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, do you know what I think would be a hilarious idea for speculation zones? Is just you reading the Bible and recapping as you go. Dude, there's this motherfucker Judas, right? And this guy, you're not going to believe it, kind of a backstabbing bitch. That's almost towards the end. Oh. So much happens before that. Yeah, there's like light. A lot more death. I remember having like this, uh, this like cool kids Bible or something. It might not mm-hmm. have been cool kid. It might have just been like Bible. Oh no, fruit. those were definitely a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember they like during the thing where it was like the story of Adam and Eve and God making all the animals. Uh, yes. They had a picture of a tiger in it, and it was the most in the foreground of any other animal in that. And so whenever I think of the Garden of Eden because of that Bible, I always just think. Like, like fucking filled with tigers <laughs> so many fucking tigers Just so many tigers he made tigers first and everything else after that i bet that's because the garden of eden is supposedly the tigris and euphrates river oh. so that people are like there had to be hella tigers right oh that's okay yeah 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 yeah. that's interesting i always think of tigers there too why is that I'm telling you, dude, it's because Big Tiger fucking poisoned our minds to think that they were there at the beginning. I will never financially recover from this. (laughs) Um, That's weird. I've always pictured them like walking with a tiger. Yeah, right? Right? You can see it. When you think of the Garden of Eden, you see a tiger. Yes, exactly. Like when I think of white supremacy, I think of Armando Torres. Okay, when I think yeah. of the Garden of Eden, I think of tigers. Hold on, hold on, go. hold on. We have too many new people to. Uh, it's because oh, of yeah. the old so episodes. Oh, yeah. So for a while, back in like 2019, 2020, Armando covered like so many white supremacist cults in a row. Yeah. In a row. Yeah, to the point, almost to the point where you were like, do you just like reading about this stuff, man? <laughs> I mean, hey, I really like reading about. The early American cult leaders who were just like, I made this water that'll cure your rickets. Like, I love that. Like, that is so my favorite whenever I can find that. Also, UFO 
love love a good ufo group speaking of which if you're free march 18th uh unarius is having an anniversary celebration if you follow them on instagram you can find out about it uh if you want to go yeah be respectful be nice to them they don't hurt anybody but there you go and tell them cult podcast sent you yeah i mean i've i've been there and talked to them they were very friendly but like be nice don't ruin their shit yeah. Don't go and troll them. Go go and be good people, you fucking dorks. All right? Yes. You go out there and you're... Here's the thing. When you go out there, you represent us, okay? Right. And we need you on your best behavior. And I am planning to visit soon to see the completion of the Celestial Kingdom model because I'm legitimately curious and I don't want you to fuck that up for me. Exactly. And if you're good, we'll get McDonald's on the way home. There you go. But otherwise, we have food at home, so you're out of luck. Yeah, uh, yeah go to that. That's going to be really cool. Um, hey, also, just putting this on your radar, fucking Panic Fest is coming up. Panic Fest! There's a pretty good chance that tickets will start going on sale uh, during our little break. So check uh, social media from us, and we'll be posting about that um when it happens uh because that's going to be a lot of fun it's also happening in april a lot of things happening in april lots of stuff happening in april and uh you're definitely going to want to go to that uh page shared pictures of the new room or what it looks like now and it was it was dope it was a dope in concept room and we went it's really cool very like basement vibes now it is like what you think of when you think of a basement it's like nostalgia turned up to a hundred it's so incredibly cool i'm so excited there's a bar down there now like Mm -hmm. i am so stoked it's gonna be so cool yeah i am uh absolutely jazzed about going to panic fest and i hope that you are too so uh come on out keep in in tune keep tuned in wow i cannot talk today stay tuned in for information about that uh, on our socials because it will drop soon. Um, hey, I wanted to say I'm Armando. If you want to see me do stand-up, I'll be in uh, Boston next next week. So not this coming week, but the week after. I'll be in Boston for PAX East, and I think I'm doing one show so uh to keep a uh, keep keep your fucking ears marked i'll also be at south by southwest this this week the week that this episode comes out um i'll be doing the thing for evil dead so if you're gonna go see oh, evil fuck. dead fucking come fuck with the boy baby i'm legit jealous that sounds awesome i'm really excited to see the evil dead movie they were like we'll pay you to do a tiktok about it and i was like yeah let me see the movie <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, dude. I'll post on tell my... me how it is. Please tell me how it yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't tell them this, but like fucking I'll post on my dead ass TikTok for anybody. I don't care. And if I get to see a movie, ooh-wee. And eat some torchies for me. Absolutely. I will get diarrhea just for you. And I will. Thank you so much. As I, I grab my that. knees and scream to the heavens, I will think of you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, so if you want more information on all that fun stuff, follow me on social media. Uh, usually Instagram is where I post updates about show stuff. That's at Mondo Does Stuff, M-A-N-D-O, Does Stuff, all one word. Thank you. I love you. Good night. Good luck. Goodbye. Mwah. Hey, it's your girl, Paige. I'm here every week. 
Uh, if you want to hear my voice more, you can tune into Horror Virgin or Romancing the Pod. Uh, if you want to hear my brain but not my voice, go ahead and tune into Ship Hits. And uh, if you are in Los Angeles, you can come see me roast battle in Culver City on the 23rd. Uh, once ticket links are available, I will post them. Act fast. Those sell out super fast. Um, then we'll be at Panic Fest uh, on the 15th. I'm also trying to talk Mikey and Todd into going back to Quilltown, USA. So we'll see if we make that happen. Uh, then when I come back from Panic Fest, I am at Cobbs in San Francisco on the 20th, roast battling again. Uh, then when I come back, I've got some other show dates coming up later this year. I will post those as I have them. Keep an eye on my social meds to get all of that info. So you can follow me on Instagram at Rampage Wesley, uh, same as on TikTok and on Twitter at Page Wesley. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to follow the show's social meds. Social meds. Social meds. <laughs> so much worse. If you want to get follow up in the socials. Oh Christ! If you if the meads ain't social enough for you, and you need yeah. it from us, uh, if you, you need can, an extra sprinkling of soch on I'm your gonna, meads, I'm gonna fucking yarf if we keep saying this. <laughs> yarf. Uh, you can follow me. You can follow the show on Instagram at Colt Podcast or on Twitter, the social Mead Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. <laughs> You can send us a sochi ass email to uh, uh, coltpodcastshow at gmail.com. And if you want to send us stuff, uh -huh. uh, like a map of how you got across the country, uh, or still hoping for somebody to send their temple garments, you could send those to 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237, like, like the, the Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. I think what makes me the most upset is anytime you say so, I remember how they did my boy, my book, my pony boy dirty and the whole greaser gang, baby. That's right. I'm talking about the outsiders. Not the reference anyone expected you to make <laughs> with the socials. That's literally their like that's rival true. gang. That is true that you're not wrong. Like it's an accurate reference. Stay golden pony boy. Stay I love golden. that book and the movie. Stay golden. And I'm going to say, don't drink a cup full of ticks. That's a bad idea. Oh. Mm. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye.
Thank you.